0: So our speaker today is Brad Shapese, one of our own Dominicans, lay Dominicans. And he serves as director of Seek, Knock, Ask Outreach Ministries, which develops ministries and programs focused on evangelizing non-Catholics, as well as the unchurched and fallen away Catholics. He has organized many retreats and conferences. He teaches seminars on prayer, courses on apologetic strategies, religious and spiritual formation for adults. He is also the founder and the director of the Bosco House, a charity which serves fatherless teens. He is, of course, our in the lay Dominican chapter of Saint Cecilia. And he also teaches elementary school. And so he's a very busy guy. Uh, He and his wife, Rebecca, who is also a lay Dominican, um, have three beautiful children, the most important thing of all, right? So we welcome Brad and thank him so much for speaking.
1: From childhood, we are trained to walk in the footsteps of pride. As we grow, our egos become inflated as we discover many talents. While we fail to recognize their origin or their evangelical purpose, in time we create an unrealistic sense of entitlement and and self-reliance as we further embrace the heresy of modern times. The phenomenon of celebrity. Our teachers in this discipline, singers, dancers, actors, athletes, politicians, talking heads, and commentators, celebrities of all types, guide and direct us like masterful instructors down the wide path of the cult of a cult of personality. We follow oftentimes indiscriminately magazines touting the 100 richest, the 50 most beautiful, the 100 most influential. While the soft, gentle glow from the TV hypnotizes, and the glare from the silver screen enchant us, all to the glitter of fame and fortune. Propaganda of a better, more fulfilling life, a counterfeit of love, and our fallen nature flies to it like moths to a light. How cleverly did our ancient enemy in the garden craft this bait? We who were created for beauty mistake the missionary gift of talent for the idolatry of celebrity. Our Father designed us with the desire to be holy. Consequently, we are attracted by all that is good, all that is beautiful, all that is holy. But this imposter This fake draws us in and attempts to bring us down. Time after time we have seen the bright flame of celebrity lit in the promise of a rising young star who represented the best beauty of humanity while demonstrating some amazing athletic talent or singing performance. Only a few short years later we are surprised when we see him on the cover of some grocery store tabloid wrapped in some scandal. And we wonder how someone with such potential could simply throw it all away. But why do we wonder this? Have we not seen this script repeated hundreds of times over in modern pop culture? We shake our heads in disappointment and transfer our our adulation to the next promising young star. What brings about this giant collapse The most talented of celebrities, Elvis, the Beatles, Babe Ruth, Muhammad Ali, Marlon Brando, understood that what they have to offer the world is bigger than just their music, their art, their performance. Their success is based on the fact that they give of themselves. From the depths of their heart, there is something of who they are transmitted into their performance. They understand this and they pour themselves into their work. A craftsman offers his craft to the world, a tradesman his trade, but a celebrity who has reached stardom by selling himself has little to offer other than himself and finds in short time he's expended everything and has nothing left to offer the world. In time, even the most talented of celebrities, Elvis, Muhammad Ali, Marlon Brando, find themselves completely empty. They have, they have given everything they had. There is nothing new to offer their fans, no more hits, no more blockbusters, no more victories. Their magic no longer works. The crowd moves on, fame is fleeting. There's a limit to their enchantment. The beauty which God created us for is not simply a beautiful song, a dramatic performance, a heroic victory. Clearly, the beauty found in these only reflect what is truly beautiful. The beauty which God created us for is the origin of all beauty, himself. This fact is often ignored by our celebrities, resulting in a product that is more of themselves and less of him. Because of this, people will always eventually grow bored with their act, their art, their tune. There will always be a limit to the ability of the celebrity to hold the audience's attention. The magic is only temporary. It is in our nature to need God. He is who we long for. He is the fulfillment of all that we desire. No performance could satisfy. This might explain why it is that he never commanded us to sing or perform, but instead he sent us to spread the good news. Away from all the cameras, with no spotlight to focus the crowd's attention and no microphone to amplify his voice, the evangelist performs another kind of art, a performance which the audience truly needs. Like the actor, he recites lines but the words he speaks are not his own. Like the singer, he sings a song, but this melody is not his own. Like the athlete, he runs a race, but the victory is not his. The evangelist offers nothing of himself. His performance is the gospel. Celebrity makes no space for the gospel message. Caiaphas, Herod, and Pontius Pilate each had the power, the bully pulpit, to spread the gospel, but instead there was no space in their ministry of fame and fortune for the good news. Instead, they preferred to stamp out this message and the messenger, lest he impose on their spotlight. To be an evangelist, we must first recognize our dependence on God. For unlike the celebrity, the evangelist recognizes that he is truly poor and has nothing to give the world. The celebrity goes about the world performing his art from his ego, and it never once occurs to him that the well will, once, will one day run dry, that his muse will fail him. But the evangelist knows, first, he must come to the Lord to be filled. John the Baptist understood this very well. He lived in the desert, slept on the ground, and ate locusts. Not because he was obliged to. Certainly he was not. He was not poor. The son of the temple priest certainly had the opportunity for a more socially dignified life. But John chose this path. He made the choice to walk away from the comfort, the wealth, the sense of security, to communicate to us a simple truth, the clueless onlookers, the gawkers, the celebrity watchers, us, we might not have ever noticed John had he not done something so extraordinary. It was it was it was this performance that initially attracted the crowds. And when they arrived, what did they see in John? What was there to capture their attention? The truth. An obvious truth that each one of us worked so hard each day to ignore that he like each one of us, truly is impoverished. We have nothing. We do live in a desert. We do completely depend upon God for our very existence. The material belongings, the shelter, the overstocked kitchen, they are all an illusion. Tomorrow they could all be gone. But if they were, we would not be less rich than we are now because we would still have then all that we have now. God. It is he that provides for us, he that nourishes us, he that blesses us. The evangelist can never forget this. John did not forget this. When the needy and the destitute reached out to John, he had the opportunity to accept their adulation. He had the opportunity to make a name for himself. He had the opportunity to receive with much satisfaction his newfound fame and increase his wealth and power. When the crowd first appeared, what temptation must, he must have endured. The shiny fruit lay before him, but he rejected all of these. He used his fame to instruct them in humility, telling them, repent, declaring he must decrease, increase while I decrease. He admitted his poverty. He rejected stardom. He focused them back on God. Perhaps many of them did not understand this, and they treated him like he was some kind of celebrity, for the world they lived in, like ours, was filled with celebrities, like Herod. They did not understand true poverty or humility or locusts. They understood fortune and fame. They understood Herod. The drama of King Herod, who God perhaps had once called to a similar mission as John. Perhaps this is why he was so pleased when he listened to John. We may never know. What we do know is that the Roman government propped up this man to serve as a puppet king. But perhaps long before those events, God spoke to Herod, just like he speaks to each one of us deep in our hearts. He called Herod to empty himself, to embrace humility, to be a vessel which the good news of the coming king could be carried. But when the crowds came, when the shiny fruit lay before him, Herod could not resist the temptation to fortune and fame. He embraced his celebrity instead of his evangelical mission. Pride yields no space for the gospel. John called Herod back to holiness. He was conflicted. He was pressured by Herodias to kill John, but was also pressured by the crowds to release him. He was pulled in every direction, trying to please everyone. It was then that a promising young talent, a beautiful rising star, danced. And such a dance, so amazing that Herod was overcome. He spoke too soon, perhaps out of mere enchantment. He promised half of his kingdom, but this girl was no fool. In her brief taste of celebrity, she preferred to stamp out this model of humility rather than than to possess all the wealth that lay before her. And so one of the greatest evangelical voices of history was silenced by the brief fame of a dancing girl. One may wonder why John spent so much time voicing objection towards Herod. Wouldn't his ministry have been better served had he remained in the desert proclaiming the coming of the Messiah? Why should, he be, why should he have engaged in this back and forth with Herod? Might there have been a better outcome had he just stayed out of it? Did John perhaps mess with the wrong man? The people loved Herod or at least they tolerated him because of his celebrity, because of what he represented to them, fortune, fame, security, but all a false sense of security, a false gospel, a denial of God's providence over their lives, a denial of the simple truth of humility. This is why John engaged Herod, because the Israel of John's day was an Israel full of pride a people who embraced the celebrity of characters like Herod, Caiaphas, and Pilate. Each of these men rose to prominence because they were a reflection of the pride within the people's hearts. These people with stony hearts were the same people that Christ intended to transform into a kingdom of priests. John's mission was to cleanse their hearts to begin the process that would be completed by the descent of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. This is what the prophet Ezekiel foretold. I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be cleansed from all your uncleanness. And from your, all your idols I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will take out of your flesh the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. John began this process, not simply in the waters of the Jordan, but also in the blood of his martyrdom. The humility of John, the sacrifice of John, was a prerequisite to the washing of the feet. In the upper room, our blessed Lord gathered his chosen twelve to celebrate a meal which would establish the new covenant and the new kingdom of priests. For three years he prepared their hearts for this meal. They left their lives, their possessions, their securities. They traveled with him and watched him spread the gospel. They heard his words. They witnessed his miracles. They learned everything he had to teach them. But here in the upper room, before any cup was lifted, before any bread was broken, there was one last essential lesson. John slept in the desert and ate locusts to teach this. Now Christ, picked up a towel, and knelt before his servants, and where words failed to teach love in just the proper way, Christ delivered the greatest performance in history, a performance that began with a towel wrapped around his hands and ended with a shroud wrapped around his body. This was a performance of love. Peter, James, John, and the others looking down at their feet perhaps realized that they had not yet learned anything and that the greatest lesson still lay before them. Now it would fall to them to go out to the world and spread this gospel. But they did not have the charisma of Herod, the political prowess of Pilate, or the connections of Caiaphas. They had nothing. How could they possibly spread this message around the world? Just hours later in the garden, they fled in fear. And for the next 50 days, they faced an interior struggle. They came face to face with the truth of who they were and their limitations. They realized they had nothing. On the day of Pentecost, when the apostles were at last filled with God's Holy Spirit, a story which is unfortunately often overlooked. It was then that they were last, at last equipped to go out into the world and bring the gospel to every nation. It was then that they had finally they finally had something to offer the world. It was then that they were empowered to be altar Christus. But essential to the story of Pentecost, that the evangelists cannot miss is not the descent of the Holy Spirit. It is not the transformative effect that he had on the fearful apostles. It's not the conversion of hearts which occurred down in the street below. Yes, all of these are important, but for the evangelist who is called to go out into the world, what is predominant in the story is not what happened after the descent of the Holy Spirit, for none of us should be the least bit surprised by any of that at all. After all, our blessed Lord told us that he who believes in me will do also the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. What is essential in the Pentecost story is what happens immediately beforehand. Christ instructs them at his ascension, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And this is just what they do. They return to Jerusalem with great joy, continually blessing God, It was during this time in which they at last surrendered their hearts and emptied themselves. It was during this time which they finally grasped what our Lord had been teaching them. They finally embraced true humility, the ministry of the Tower. So when we look at the story of Pentecost, of course we should be amazed by the power of the Spirit. But likewise, it should not be lost on us how it was that these men prepared themselves to receive God's Spirit, how they emptied themselves. Likewise, we should prepare our hearts as we approach the sacraments. Without a doubt, we we know that God will pour his Holy Spirit upon us. But we must not forget that it is in, in total and complete humility which the Spirit acts in power This power is what we have to offer the world. This power is love. The love of the Father and the Son, the unifying covenantal love of the Father and the Son, God is pouring it out upon us, not just for the purpose of redeeming us to himself, but also that we may go out into the world and evangelize. The story of John and Herod is long over, But the drama between evangelization and celebrity, between humility and pride, continues. The heartbeat of our postmodern world is the pride encompassed in celebrity. Christ washed our feet. Now the question we must ask ourselves is whose footsteps shall we follow? Is it the footsteps of Herod walking down the red carpet or the footsteps of John walking barefoot? in the desert. Pray with me. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make our hearts like unto them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you.